John. When John was saying, turn to the person next to you and say it is better if you agree with him, I turned to Dawn. And I said most of the time. But I need you to disagree with him from time to time. <laughs> she said, I most certainly will. <laughs> it was great to have Daniel years ago uh, in Kentucky. That's a long time ago, Daniel. I had hair. Uh, that's ages ago. Uh, I, I lived, uh, since then, I've lived in Texas for 10 years, in Austin, Texas, where I served, and now live in Nashville, Tennessee, where I pastor a church. And so, so uh, if you want to talk country music afterwards, we can get into that. I, I, Daniel knows that sometimes I preach investments, so I did bring along some um, holy garments here uh, today. I didn't know if those, apparently not, Okay. <laughs> Apparently, apparently not all that helpful today. <laughs> Enjoying a bit of a revival over there, which is just fine and about time, actually. I'm going to read for you a text. This feels a little hot there. In John's Gospel, in chapter 1, if you want to follow along, open your apps to John 1 and... A, a couple of verses here, beginning in verse 19. This is the testimony. You've heard testimony this morning. This is the testimony of John. And not John, the writer of the gospel, but John who's baptizing out in the wilderness. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. And so they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight in the Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, I want to draw your attention to these couple of questions. Who are you? What do you say about yourself? Would you ask those two questions aloud with me? Let's do them together. Who are you? What do you say about yourself? I suspect that uh, those couple of questions considered together are the second most important questions in the whole New Testament. First would be Jesus' question. Who do you say that I am? Because our answer to that question, on that answer, hinges our eternal destiny. But who are you? What do you say about yourself? I think one of the most critical issues that people all across the Western world, and we're part of that, and so we're caught up in this, in this crisis, one of the most important questions people are wrestling with is a question of identity. Who are we? How do we say this is what we are? This morning... I got on the underground over at Notting Hill, and this is not a, 
a, a criticism. I just noticed some, an installation of artwork. It's going all the way down the escalator on um, one side and uh, back up the other. And I have no idea what it's about. So it's, I don't want anybody to hear this as a criticism. I just thought it was a stirring and remarkable series of posters going all the way up and all the way down the escalator. Mother, it's that time of day. This is all on various posters going all the way down. Uh, when I realize I'm an animal, I'm salivating, spasming, excreting, bleeding, foul, breathing, nasal, dripping, self-exalting. You want more? <laughs> My goodness. I'm a, let me, let me pick up the rest of this here because I took pictures. I was trying to take pictures of the whole thing very quickly. I'm a piece of meat. I'm no more important than this fruit. I'm microbial. I'm a downloaded egg. I'm a gibbering omelet. <laughs> I'm a quivering splodge of protoplasm. That's a person with an identity crisis. Just before landing in London on Thursday night, I'd been in Krakow in Poland for a few days. And uh, while I was just walking around the city, kind of getting to know it, here's this brilliant Eastern European city with all this terrific architecture and these, these trolley cars going by in the middle of the road. And uh, for me, I felt like I was in the middle of a Bourne movie. I fully expected Jason Bourne to pop out of one of those trolley cars at any moment. That's a great place for me. I love those movies. I like those. I like Batman movies. I like them all. I could do a whole sermon in a Batman voice, but I won't trouble you. <laughs> Jason Bourne's story, of course, begins with him being fished out of the water and not having any clue at all as to who he is Apart from a little clue, a number that he has for a Swiss bank account. Now, personally, I think that's a good start. <laughs> I would love to at least have started with a Swiss bank account. Such was not, such was not my lot in life. Who are we? People are trying to figure this out. There are narratives which are being given to us about this is how you know who you are. This is how you answer the question, who are you? What do you say about yourself? Traditionally, traditional cultures, traditional European cultures, for instance, uh, used an assigned identity. You think about, think about English language surnames like Mason or Smith, uh, Baker. These are names which are inherited from great-grandparents, grandparents, and so on because they describe what a person did in a particular community. Well, that's who you are. And then there were a whole bunch of Europeans, English and Scots and Welsh and Irish and French and everyone else, and they all decided to go to America, where you didn't have an assigned identity. You could have an achieved identity. You're not what your grandparents and your great-grandparents all said you were. No, 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 no. Welcome, welcome to the new world where the rules don't apply. In America, we know there are two speed limits, the posted one and the real one. And we're going to find out what the real one is. We're just born to break rules. 
And so we want to find out how far we can go, how much we can achieve. And so I live in an achievement identity culture, whether it's academic achievement or athletic achievement or fiscal achievement. Look how big my house is. Look how fast my car is. Look how many awards I can hang on my wall. If you go to the United States, you'll see people with great, huge diplomas, framed and matted. Have you ever seen an Oxford University diploma? I mean, you can fit it in your wallet. But you can see diplomas from, I don't know, the Northwest Arkansas Buffalo Bible Breath College of the Arts. (laughs) And it's like this big. Framed and matted and hanging in some guy's office. Like, oh, look at here. Tremendous achievement. This is now my identity. Athletic achievement and so on. Celebrity and fame. Carrie Fisher, the late Carrie Fisher, talking about her, her parents, talked about celebrity and saw that it, and quoting her now, Princess Leia to many of you, she said, that fame hurt her parents. She saw their diminishing star dip over the horizon and the pain that caused them when no one knew who they were anymore. I have one of my pastors who was uh, an American NFL football player for several years and with uh, the Carolina Panthers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Tennessee Titans. And he'd spent his whole life disciplining his body, using his gifts, achieving a potential. But then the day comes where you can't play anymore. You have lost a step. Now what? Now you're not that person whose autograph everyone seeks. You're not the person who's being offered the massive paycheck because of your skills. Many people have discovered that the achieved identity is not something which lasts. And so they, they're dealing with the awareness that perhaps it's not worth pursuing after all. But then they still have to discover and say who they are, what they're here for. Madonna said, I am my own experiment. I am my own work of art. And that's the way I think most folks are living right now. We have what sociologists call an asserted identity. I am who I am. And you have no right to disagree with me about who I am. My identity is not based in my gender. My identity is not based in my sex. My identity is not based in my achievement. My identity is not based in my, in my assigned role in a culture, in a society, in a class. That's not who I am. I am who I say that I am, and you have no right to disagree with me about who I say I am. And if I say I am this on Thursday and this on Tuesday, that's who I am. There is, of course, a being in the universe who did say, I am that I am. And he's the only one who could really say it. There are all kinds of narratives on offer here for us today. And they're being shaped particularly through social media. The average child, and I can only quote this now in terms of the United States, so please forgive me for this. The average child in the United States is spending eight hours a day with screen time. We are addicted to these. And of course, that screen time is shaping, it's forming an interior identity. And if you spend a lot of time on social media, 
One friend of mine said, if Twitter was a town, we'd move. If you spend a lot of time in these places, you will know that they are trying to sell you a way of viewing yourself. There are a multiplicities, multiplicity of identities that are on offer. They're for sale for you. Freedom. Be free. Do whatever you want to do. You're a free person. Or the happiness narrative. All that matters in life is that you're what? Happy. Be happy. Just be happy. If it makes you happy and it doesn't hurt anyone else, then by all means pursue that. Because this even gets baptized, you know. God wants you to be happy. How many of you have discovered, those of you who are Christians, that God doesn't always want you to be happy? Yeah. There's the justice narrative. You must work for justice for all the people that aren't happy. And the people who are working for justice are often very unhappy about the people who are not yet happy as well. There's the scientific narrative. Science will save us. Technology will guide us. We are just an accidental cosmic collection of clustered cells. There is no real overarching sacred canopy to life. You are here because of a collision of energy. But be of good cheer. We can figure that energy out, and we can show you how to live, even though we don't have any real foundation for saying this is how you should live. Our feet are firmly planted in midair. But we've got the information. Then, of course, there's the sexuality narrative. You are whatever gives you sexual pleasure. That's the most important thing about you. You couldn't possibly deny those passions. This is important for you. You must know who you are. This is your identity. Your sexuality is your identity. Who are you? What do you say about yourself? It's very interesting. What does John say? They come to him and they, they ask him, who are you? Verse 20, he confessed and he did not deny he confessed. I am not the Messiah. Would you say that with me? I am not the Messiah. And that's the very first thing you need to know. I mean, that's the very first thing to cotton on to. I am not the Messiah. Every pastor should have that hanging in his study. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. But neither are you. We are not our own saviors. We cannot save ourselves. I'm not the Messiah. Well, well, then are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Three of the four questions. Well, then who are you? That's the fourth one. Three. They come with their expectations of who he is. People will try to shape you into the mold of what they think you're supposed to be. God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And so they will squeeze you into what they think, what they expect. The individual is important. God has called us as a community of people. He's redeemed a people for his own possession. But those people are made up of cherished individuals. Every one of you, by name, inscribed on the hand of God. That's a big hand. But he has inscribed your name on the palms of his hand. And the prophet says, the prophet goes on to say in that passage, if a, if a nursing mother could forget the name of her child, yet I would never forget your name. You are precious in God's eyes. He wove you together 
In your mother's womb, the scripture says. Before you were born, he knew you. Before the world began, he chose you in Christ. What an astonishing thought. Before God thought about stars and galaxies and planets and moons and microorganisms, he thought of you. He made you in his heart. And then he made everything else to surround you and show you his splendor and his glory and his magnificence. These echoes in creation to draw you to himself. What does John say? Well, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Where does John find his identity? John finds his identity in the scriptures. Not in his pedigree. This is what my dad was. This is what my mom was. He doesn't find it in his achievement. Look at my holiness. Look at how righteous I am. He doesn't assert his own findings. He takes a step back and he says, do you want to know who I am? Do you want to know what I say about myself? I can say no more about myself than what God says about myself. I'm a voice. I have found myself where? In the book. Where do you find yourself today? What I want to suggest to you this morning, very briefly, is that we find our life in the book. We are surprised to discover who we are in terms of what God says about us. Because we were made for communion with him, and that communion has been interrupted by sin. The sin that separates us from God, that alienates us from him, that disturbs our communion with him, that calls into question our very being, that leads us to places of utter despair, that makes us even want to kill ourselves, to make us think that we're worthless. That kind of deep alienation is dealt with by Christ at the cross who hangs between heaven and earth, bearing our sin in his own body there, dying to extinguish the penalty for the sins we've committed and also taking away completely any barrier left between us and God, between earth and heaven, so that now, as Jesus said, we can have life, which is to be in a relationship with God. Not to be in a religion about God, but a relationship with God. Religion will always tell you, do this, do this, do this, and you will get to God or get to nirvana or get to some level of spirituality. But God in the gospel comes to us and says, this is not what I'm calling you to do. Here is what I have done. I am not calling you to me. I have come to you, and I am bringing you to myself. He said to the people of Israel, did you not see how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself? You heard that beautiful testimony from the young lady this morning. You said, while I was standing there in worship, I felt God's hand reach into my heart. What a frightening proposition. <laughs> he reached into my heart. He did something powerful and deep inside of me. That wasn't something that she conjured up. That wasn't something that was the result of her following the six steps to spiritual renewal. That was God in his mercy and kindness coming to us in our brokenness and reaching into our lives with his mercy and making us well and making us new. Now, of course, when this has happened to us, well, yes, praise God. That's beautiful. You can clap. It's okay. <laughs> you can shout amen. I'm a Presbyterian, but it won't make me nervous. It's okay. It's all right. 
You know what a Presbyterian amen sounds like, don't you? Hmm. Mm. We're good, man. When we're made new, we're in this whole new kingdom, and we really don't know what it means. We don't understand what it means to be made new, to be in a new place. When I was living in Kentucky, I was asked to come and speak at a Bible conference just outside Toulouse in France. So I got over there, and I'm staying in this guest house, but I was taking my meals with a family down in the campground, and they're hosting me. I got down there for the first night, and they're grilling up the burgers. And I'm like, oh, this is great and glorious. This is going to be fun, a good meal. And we're sitting around, and he serves me a burger. I'm about three bites in. And he goes, uh, well, uh, I hope you like horse. <laughs> well, <laughs> all the blood drained from my face, you know. I went eight shades of white. You know, now I know Jesus says, eat whatever said before you, but I, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, I'm from Kentucky. We race them. We don't eat them. I, and, I don't. <laughs> and then, you know, you say something, you say something, and you're trying to make it better, and it just makes it worse. You know what I'm saying? And, and he goes, well, well, uh, it's not like it's a pony. <laughs> we only eat them when they're old. And they cannot run anymore. And I was like, oh, great. This is fantastic. Would you like another one? <laughs> no. <laughs> when you come into this new world, there's this radical change. You've moved kingdoms. It's a whole new way of living. What does this new identity mean? Let me give you just a couple of things to take home with you to, from the Bible. Here's what it says, and here's how Paul put it. There's two phrases Paul uses all the time. In Christ and Christ in you. Would you say them with me? In Christ and Christ in you. There's this union with Jesus that takes place, this binding together of your life with his that God creates. He comes to live within you and you live in him. That's the language Paul is using. And he says in his letter to the Corinthians, it's by God's doing that you are in Christ. It's by his doing. He did it. He united you to Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means a new identity. This is who you are. I am who I am in Christ. A wonderful story about St. Augustine. You, you, you might know, not know that St. Augustine was a profligate young man. Had a mistress, child out of wedlock. You would not have looked at Augustine at one point in all of his arrogance and all of his rebellion that broke his mother's heart. She prayed for him for years. St. Monica did. Monica was visiting with her bishop, tears flowing down her face, praying for her wayward son Augustine, who's off studying rhetoric and philosophy, left home, leaving her in the dust, off sleeping with as many women as he possibly could. And um, he, he famously prayed, Lord, give me celibacy, but not yet. That was Augustine. He didn't want anything to do with her faith. And she's in tears. And the bishop said, God will not leave the tears of this mother unanswered. And she held on to that word from the Lord. That's a prophetic word. She held on to it. When he came to the Lord, when Augustine, this young university student, came to the Lord. And he came to the Lord, by the way, because he went to hear a guy preach, Ambrose in Milan, who he heard was a great rhetorician, so he wanted to hear him. But what got him was the music. He was overwhelmed and burst into tears in the middle of the worship because the music was so full of God's presence. That's what got him. 
That's what first opened up his heart to the word of God, which he then picked up and read. But when he, 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 when he was in Christ, he was walking down a street, and one of his lovers passed by him, and he just kept walking. And she turned around, and she said, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And he turned around and looked, and he said, yes, but it is not I. If anyone is in Christ, in Christ, he is a, some of you know this verse, he is a what? New creation. This is who you are. You are not who you were. You're not who you're going to be. But you are in Christ. Let me tell you another another one that I think is important. You have a new capacity. You have a new capacity. Not just a new identity, but a new capacity. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives what? In me. This is Galatians 2.20. Now, Christ is in you. We mustn't imagine our relationship with Jesus. I'm going to go back to Batman now. I'm going to go Batman and Spider-Man with you here this morning. We must not imagine our relationship with Christ to be like a Batman's utility belt, which we, has all kinds of cool gadgets, which we strap on. I would personally like a bat belt. I think that would be awesome. But it's got all kinds of neat stuff in it. Now, Batman is awesome, but Spider-Man is more awesome. Because Spider-Man got a bite of something that went where? In him. And so things came out of him. He didn't strap on Spidey. He was Spidey. (laughs) Spider-Man beats Batman every time. Because there's something in him. You do not strap on Jesus. You do not belt him onto your body and carry him around with you. You take him off. No, you belong. You are joined to Jesus. Get this, body and soul. You belong to Christ, body and soul. The Heidelberg Catechism asks on Lord's Day 1 in its catechism, what is my only hope in life and in death? My only hope in life and in death is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I know people who say, oh, I gave my heart to Jesus. I'm like, great, would you please give your eyes, your hands, and your feet as well? Because your body belongs to Jesus. You're joined to him. He's in you. He's in you. He's on your tongue, therefore he's working on your speech. He's in your hands, therefore he's teaching you to serve. He's in your feet, teaching you to obey. He's in your eyes, telling you to gaze at him and fix your gaze on him as you walk through this world, setting your mind on things above. Christ is in you, and this means the power of Jesus is in you. That means, I mean, how many of you, I mean, let's put it this way. How many of you, if I go today, if I give up preaching, if I just call a halt to this right now, but I go down to the local morgue and I start preaching, that would be an interesting service, wouldn't it? Just set out all the bodies that happened to be in the morgue this morning and I start preaching to them. That's what Ezekiel did. He's preaching to the bones. It's what most pastors do every Sunday, right? So um, it's a great encouraging passage. If, if you came along with me, we go down to the morgue, I start preaching away, get to the end of the message, and I say, right. Oh, bodies, every head bowed, every eye closed, no bodies looking around. If you want to receive Jesus, please raise your hand. Now, if a hand went up, (laughs) what would you do? (laughs) You'd head for the door. That's what you'd do. Oh, my God. Now, you wouldn't be going, that Cassidy, he's good. He is really good. No, you would say, that's something only God can do. He raises the dead. It's a miracle. 
Why, what, what, where do miracles come from? Where do the dreams, where do the pictures, where's the power come from? It is Christ what? In you. We look at ourselves in the mirror. C.S. Lewis every morning used to get up and shave. He'd look in the mirror and say, good morning, brother ass. He knew who he was in his own state. But Christ was in him. Where does the wisdom come from? It comes from Christ in you. You have a new capacity. You have a new community as well because you're in Christ. You are not left on your own. Some of you here this morning may be feeling deeply isolated and deeply lonely and alone, but I want you to know you have a new community in Christ. You are joined with other brothers and sisters. You are part of a body of believers. Now, some people f- kind of suffer from, I don't know, spiritual, spiritual uh, self-deprecation, and they kind of go, oh, well, you know, I'm a little toe on the body of Christ, you know, I, I don't really make a contribution here. There are other people who are a little spiritually arrogant, and they think they're all that. And so I don't really, I was, <laughs> this was, I was leading a church in Streatham. John referenced the fact that I lived here. I was here for 10 years, and um, uh, 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 I was greeting people at the door, at the back, people coming to the service. And this guy, he walks in, he shakes my hand, he goes, he goes hello, I'm an I. I'm an I. Now, I know no weird people ever come to your church. Ever. No weird people. You were all perfectly normal, of course. You know. Occasionally, weird people showed up where I was leading. And this guy was one of the weirdest. I mean, everything but a tinfoil hat. I mean, my goodness. I'm an I. Now, all I could think of when he said that was... When I was in high school, we had a biology class, and we had a dissection unit, and they passed along these eyeballs, cow eyeballs, in a tray. And of course, all the girls, as the eyeballs came along, and the guys were like, awesome. And I could just see that. You know, eyes are wonderful things. I'm sure some of, most of you guys in here have at some point sat across from your, your girlfriend or your spouse and looked at her and said, you have the most wonderful, beautiful eyes. And eyes are beautiful, as long as they're where they're supposed to be. (laughs) But if they get outside of their particular context, they're no longer particularly attractive. (laughs) So when this guy says, I'm an I, and see, this is my problem. You see, you got to pray harder for me. Things come out of me that shouldn't come out of me. And I said, find a face. I did, I did, I did. He never came back. Oh my gosh, I totally failed that day. You're part of a community of people. Part of the way that you express your Christian identity is not by being the valiant self, I am the captain of my fate, I am the master of my soul. Not by doing any of that, but by finding the community of believers in which you commit yourself so that you find your life being formed by this. And this gives you, of course, at the end of the day, a new destiny. Why? You see, Jesus will not leave any part of his body in the grave. How many of you are part of his body? Then he will not leave you in the grave. Um, Barring his return, we will die. Every single one of us. 
uh, we will face death. We will taste it. But the scriptures say because the Holy Spirit lives within us, he will raise our mortal bodies to life. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Paul writes. And Jesus prays, Father, I pray that those whom you have given to me may be with me where I am, that they may see my glory. What's your destiny? Your destiny, because you have this new identity, is not tied to your trophies, your finances, your cars, your houses. Your destiny is not tied to how many lovers you can accumulate or how successful your marriage may or may not be. Your identity is not tied to the success of your children and whether or not they are failures. Your identity is not tied to the house you live in. Your identity is in Christ who is on high, unchanged, and we will be with him for far longer than we are here. And this is why Lewis in his wonderful sermon, Weight of Glory, says you have never met an ordinary person. Every day we meet people who, he reminds us in that sermon, are immortal souls. And we are, every single person who you meet, either one day going to be creatures who are horrors, the likes of which you would only see in a terrible film, frightening and awful, or creatures of such splendor, which, if you were to see them now, you would be tempted to bow down and worship them. Every person is headed towards one of those destinations, glory or darkness. Where are you going? This is your eternal identity. Sons and daughters of the living God, living in the presence of God. Where will you be? Where will you go? Will Jesus' prayer, I want those whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Will that prayer for you be your eternal destiny? If you're not sure today whether or not that's true, you can be. You can today say, Jesus I need to give up all of this identity search stuff, all my identity politics, all my sexual identity, my fiscal identity, my assertive identity. I am who I say that I am, and nobody, nobody can tell me I'm not. And come to the one, the only one, who could say, I am that I am, the creator of the universe. That's what God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he revealed himself in the face of Jesus, who said... I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread that comes down from heaven. I am the way to the Father. When you come to him, you will have a new identity. You will not be who you were. And you will be well on the way to who you will one day be. But where you are right now will be identified with Jesus because he will be in you and you will be in him. And what God has joined together, no man can separate. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for each and every person gathered here this morning. I thank you for your precious blood, which redeems and saves and forgives. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who unites us to you. 
And we pray that you will help us to disavow the false narratives of our culture and to be embraced by the true narrative that we are who you say we are. We're not what everybody else is trying to make us out to be. We are who you say that we are. We're a new creation. We're the children of the living God. We're the people of the Holy Spirit. We're the people who are headed towards heaven. Lord, help us not only to see this, but to rejoice in it and to understand that you are doing a great and new thing in our lives through the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen.